May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. May they lead us toward the transformation of ourselves and our world into the shape of beloved community. Amen. Good morning, family and friends. I'm delighted to be with you this morning, my first time preaching here in the Memorial Church, which has been such an important place and community for me for many years. I remember this church and its witness here when I took my first summer school course at Harvard when I was in high school, and of course when I came back to Harvard Divinity School in the early 2000s. I was graced by Peter's hospitality here as my advisor, who companioned me through some difficult times on my faith journey. And he always welcomed me back when I came to worship on Christmas Eve from my early ministries at UC Davis and at Oberlin. When I moved back to Boston to become university chaplain at the Universalist College up the road, I was honored when Jonathan graciously invited me to come back into the church's circle as an affiliated minister. In these past two years, it's been a great joy to have Lucy Forster Smith so close by as someone whose gifted leadership and chaplaincy I have admired for many years. I cherish so many things about this church, its exquisite music, its teaching and justice ministries, its beautiful architecture, its flock of new ministers, and probably my favorite thing is that as a university church, one never knows exactly who one might meet here on a Sunday morning. I must say that makes the opportunity to preach here rather daunting, but I appreciate your invitation, and I have the deepest respect for this church and its witness to the integration of the mind and the soul here in the center of Harvard Square. It is a gift to all of us. I was especially delighted to join you in worship this morning when I looked at this week's lectionary lessons, which are some of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. In fact, the Gospel lesson from Luke is one that I chose as a reading at my own ordination. Now, I'm a Unitarian Universalist minister, and you may know that the Christian Scriptures are not always read or heard in Unitarian Universalist congregations, but for my Catholic upbringing, this lesson is one that has always stuck with me and one that I chose as a challenge for myself when I began my formal work in spiritual life. It is really the first story that we see in Luke's Gospel of Jesus as a teacher, as a leader. And the first scripture that he chooses to teach from is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. We all know in the carefully constructed narratives that come down to us as the Gospels, the order of things is extremely important. And so we cannot underestimate the fact that this is the very first teaching Jesus offers, according to Luke. I think that we can see in it nothing short of Jesus' vision and mission statement for his life and ministry, and by extension for all of his followers, for the faithful Christian life. And we know from the context in which Jesus was living the context of the Roman Empire, that this was a profoundly anti-imperial message. In selecting the scripture, Jesus expresses the subversion of worldly values that are at the heart of his prophetic teaching and mission. Jesus comes to announce good news not for the powerful, not for the privileged, for the wealthy, for the free, for the strong and able-bodied, and especially not for those allied with imperialism and oppression. Jesus lets us know that his mission is proclaiming the year of God's rescue and favor for those who have been left out, those of whatever race or religion or gender or any other identity that have not enjoyed a full and equitable share. Drawing on the ancient tradition of the Hebrew prophets, Jesus underscores 
the strain of scripture that speaks liberation and empowerment to those left out, to the exiles, to the refugees. I think it is a powerful thing that we read the scripture today one week after we commemorated the ministry and leadership of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What a powerful example Dr. King and his companions were to the very mission of which Jesus speaks and inaugurates in our gospel today. King, like Jesus, arose in a context of extreme oppression and injustice. The legacy of the slave trade and slavery and legalized and cultural white supremacy in this country. And not unlike Jesus, whom he followed, King paid the ultimate price for his efforts to subvert the social order nonviolently toward peace and justice. King's legacy lives on and continues to inspire and challenge us to find and take up our part of the story, even as that movement continues in new ways today. I come to you this Sunday having just started a Doctor of Ministry program at the BU School of Theology across the river. This is a relatively new program at BU, of course the school where King himself studied. I actually spent a week of my winter break this year taking the first course of the program, which was a course on contextual analysis and ethical leadership with BU's MLK professor of ethical leadership, Dr. Walter, Walter Fluker. Dr. Fluker is the type of professor who can lecture for literally eight hours a day, which is what we had, and keep you on the edge of your seat. Drawing on the Christian tradition and others of what he calls our deep religio-magical traditions, and informed by the work of Howard Thurman and Dr. Martin Luther King, Dr. Fluker asked each of us the question, how are we called to be ethical leaders in our time and place? We know that those of us who are seeking to live a Christian life a faithful life, are called by our relationship with the Holy, the God who has been so faithful to us, to a life of transformed action in the world that Jesus would call the kingdom of God. And so how does each of us find our particular calling in that broader vision? In our course, Dr. Fluker introduced us to the concept of narrative leadership, the idea of connecting our own story with the larger stories of which we are a part. The question is, how can we lead by connecting our personal story to the larger story and taking up our role, our place in the larger drama. This seems to me to be the very heart of what Jesus is doing in Luke and what the Christian life, the faithful life, invites all of us to do. Jesus anchors himself, roots himself in the tradition of his birth, the Jewish tradition, and he lifts up the tradition of the Hebrew prophets as the strand of the story where he connects. Now, this good news Jesus announces might be hard for us to hear, especially in this place where some of us may feel we enjoy a large share of the power and the privilege that Jesus is calling into question. But I think it's crucial to remember that it is not the power that is the problem, but the way it can be used to oppress and to bind. Although Jesus worked from the underside, I am sure he would say that in the tradition of the prophets, it is the responsibility of those in power to promote social justice, to advance right relationship among all people. I think a central image for us to take with us here is that of the scroll that Jesus takes and turns to the place where he finds his mission. When Brown's Janet Cooper Nelson preached on this passage at my ordination, she noted how Jesus moved the scroll. He unrolled the scroll to the place where he found his part. Perhaps someone, perhaps the attendant, was pointing to a different passage for him to read but he found the passage that he knew was his part, his mission, his vision. One of the reasons I love being a college chaplain is that our students are always unrolling the scroll a little bit more. 
showing us the next place we need to go to bring more truth, more love, more justice into our world. We might ask ourselves this morning, what is our role in God's story? What stories or traditions do we see ourselves a part of? I love the month of January, the very beginning of the year, the time of resolutions. Bless you. We might ask ourselves, how might we commit ourselves this year to living more fully into our role in God's story? Paul's letter to the Corinthians, about which we also heard this morning, also has a message for us about faithful leadership and community. Writing from Ephesus and Turkey to the community of followers he planted at Corinth in Greece, Paul writes because he has heard of human divisions and jockeying among members of the assembly. To guide them, he provides a metaphor for how the church should see itself. Now, at the time Paul was writing, Corinth was a large metropolis, rooted in Hellenistic culture and the classical values it shared with Roman imperial society. The Corinthian community saw themselves as spiritual and mature, wise, powerful, rich, and noble. And they seemed to be operating under the classical ideals of honor, which were hierarchical, aristocratic, and imperial. In contrast to this, Paul introduces the image of the body of Christ, a living, breathing, interdependent organism in which all parts are essential and equally valuable. Parts cannot claim to be separate, and each part is needed, and parts should not disparage other parts or claim more importance. In keeping with the gospel, Paul writes, the members of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and the members of the body that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. Interestingly, it would seem that for Paul, the church, the body of Christ, is the place and the way for which social divisions and inequities are meant to be overcome. Where imperial society has a hierarchical structure, in and by the church, it is reversed according to God's arrangement. Paul goes on to rank the gifts people have, but not the people themselves. And he hints at the end of this passage about the greatest gift, which of course is love and compassion. This overriding gift is not limited by one function, such as teaching or healing or leading. And so our second image, beyond the scroll of mission, is that of the body, the vehicle of mission. This is an important reminder, I think, especially to those of us, myself included, who may abstract things or over-spiritualize things. Jesus' mission, as he claimed, has clear bodily implications. Caring for the impoverished body, healing the blinded body, freeing the imprisoned body. And Paul says that we, the church, are the body of Christ in the world today. I think lest we over-spiritualize this, we must remember that Jesus' body was a first-century Roman-occupied Palestinian body, a Jewish body, quite likely, likely a non-white body, perceived to be an illegitimate body, a homeless body, an impoverished body, perhaps a gender non-conforming body, a tortured and broken body, and yes, a body very much in need of care and rescue and resurrection. This is the real body, the real presence from which we start to see and live the Christian message and ministry in the world. To echo St. Augustine, we have become not only Christians but Christ in this body. Unless we think the body exclusive, Vatican II affirmed that all people of goodwill are part of this body, the interconnected, interdependent organism 
that is to bring resurrection to our world. So what is the relevance of these twin visions for faithful leadership that we receive from scripture this morning? The scroll that encourages us to find our place in the story of God's plan for the world, and the other of the body, that we are part of a multifarious, diverse, gifted, interdependent, and integrated body that is both respectable and less respectable, honored and dishonored. Well, I can think of at least two. Friends, it's hard to escape the fact that this is a presidential election year in the United States, a year in which those of us who are citizens are called to vote to choose a leader for this nation that wields great power and influence in our world. How do we see our candidates for this leadership role by the measures that we are given in the scriptures this morning? The calling to bring good news to the poor, and the calling to see our society, our world, all people of goodwill as one interdependent body in need of mutual care and calls toward the gift of love and compassion. Also, more immediately, tomorrow, those of you who are Harvard faculty, staff, and students return to school. At Tufts, we actually returned last Thursday. Got a head start on you. But whenever we return, we might ask ourselves, how are we using our teaching roles our research and service roles? How are we using our student roles, our staff roles, and our community roles in ways that advance human well-being and liberation and the interdependence of all people? Now, in closing, it's also possible this morning that some of us find ourselves feeling that we are the ones in need of God's rescue, that we are hoping that the scroll of God's story will shed light on the need for our care, our healing, and our liberation. I'm always comforted by reading the rest of Isaiah 61. Not only is the message of good news for the poor, it is also for the brokenhearted, for those who are mourning, for the faint of spirit for any number of reasons. God's spirit and anointing promises a crown instead of ashes, presumably through the same community of repair and restoration. May those of us in need of that care seek it out and find it in the body of Christ, the beloved community, for that is the mission of the body in this world. The words of our closing hymn this morning were composed by my pastor and teacher, Dr. Thomas Michelson, who served for many years as the pastor of the First Parish in Cambridge, just across Harvard Yard. I think it echoes beautifully the themes of our scriptures this morning and the need for us to wake our senses to the call, a call of compassion and mutual caring. May it lead us into this new year, this new term, this momentous season in which we find ourselves with a renewed sense of calling and conscience and our sense that we are an essential part of this very intimate, tangible, substantive body that is our only way to connect with God and with one another in this life. Amen.